I would like to acknowledge the Gurringai people and pay my respects to the elders, both past and present. The Gurringai people are the traditional owners of this land where we meet today. Welcome to the Sharing Stories, Changing Lives podcast, where the timeless art of storytelling takes centre stage. I'm Karen Sandy, your host, and today my guest is Noah Baum, an international award-winning storyteller, author and coach. The New York Times describes Noah as someone who spreads cultural truths that eclipse geopolitical boundaries. In today's episode, Noah will be sharing valuable insights into the art of storytelling, revealing the dedication and practice required to connect with an audience and truly entertain through the power of narrative. Noah shares a story of much-needed hope in these troubled times. So let's dive into the enchanting world of stories with Noah. Welcome to Sharing Stories, Changing Lives. The host, Karen Sander, has the privilege of interviewing individuals from all walks of life, each with their own powerful and inspiring stories. The guests share their life experiences, and in doing so, they celebrate the transformative magic of storytelling. To learn more, visit www.thestoryroom.au and explore the private membership area, the Backstage Pass. Welcome, Noah, to Sharing Stories, Changing Lives, and it's so fantastic that you could join us from halfway around the world. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm really excited to be here with you. Noah, would you share a bit about yourself and what inspired you to be interested in becoming an oral storyteller? Well, that's a story, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Where do we start? (laughs) I never planned to be a storyteller. I never knew what it was. It was never my dream. I grew up in Jerusalem in Israel, and my dream was to be an actress. And I was well on my way to fame and fortune as I was whisked away from Tel Aviv University without an audition to be part of a very prestigious repertory theater in Jerusalem called the Khan Theater. And I was a member of the repertory group. There were 10 of us, uh, three women and seven men. And then after a couple of productions, the door to my brilliant future was slammed shut in my face when a new director came and did not cast me in the new play. He cast the other two girls and there there were uh, parts just for two women. And that was a blow to my tender 24-year-old ego that I cannot even begin to describe. I don't know if you can even grasp the magnitude of it. It's like the fall of the Roman Empire just pales in comparison is is, is all I can say. It It was the most humiliating, devastating a horrendous, depressing thing that, that that ever happened to me. And I thought my life was over and I felt like Cinderella in the cinders and it was miserable. It was miserable. And I, I felt like a complete and utter failure. But I had to make ends meet because the way the company worked was that you had a very, very low... Uh, salary. And then you got premiums for every rehearsal and every show. And I was in no rehearsals and no show, Mm. but they decided the theater was in financial hardship and they decided in order to attract more families to start doing this story hour every Friday afternoon for families. And the idea was that we would rotate all the, all 10 of us, but because they were all busy in their rehearsals, they, I had to do it. And very quickly I said, you know, I don't think people come to the theater with their children to see somebody sit and read from a book because that's what they wanted me to do. And they said, well, what do you suggest? And so I just memorized stories and I acted them out. And then I would invite the kids 
to come and act out parts of the story. And it became a huge success. And then they sent me out to do some things in the schools. And then I got a job to help make ends meet at an after-school program in the south of Tel Aviv in a neighborhood that wasn't one of the best, let's put it mildly. And I got a job that I considered the most humiliating in the world to do story hour. I wasn't a storyteller, right? I was just a failed, pathetic excuse of a has-been actress or a actress wannabe. You're so hard on yourself. (laughs) That's how it was. That's how I was. But I was hired because unlike my predecessor, who, by the way, was the only person in Israel back in the 80s that actually called himself a storyteller, he would come and read from folktales that he adapted and wrote books. You know, he wrote versions of of folktales and he would read them to the children. And I was hired because I, these were kids that didn't have the attention span to sit and listen to somebody read from a book. And I was moving and and twirling between the characters. And I invited the kids to get dressed up and act afterwards. So I was hired. Mm. And there I was, my second day on the job. And the kids were sitting and I was getting ready to start this humiliating job of my life story hour. And the door opens and three of the teachers walked in with six kids. And one of them was a eight or nine year old with burly hair, walked in the middle of the room, kicked a few of the kids that were sitting on the floor, stepped on a chair from the chair to the table, from the table to the windowsill, sat on the windowsill and barked at me. You can start. (laughs) And I have no idea if this is a boy or a girl. I looked at the teachers, they apologized, kind of, and they said, uh, this is Lilach. Uh, Lilach is a, the, the Hebrew for lilac. So that's a girl's, a girl's name. And I said, Lilach, do you want you to tell me what to do? So it was evident that if one values one's life, one does not mess with Lilach. <laughs> And of course, (laughs) I was a failed actress, but I still wanted to live. (laughs) So so I just began. And the story I prepared that day was a Hans Christian Andersen story called The Tinderbox. Know it well. You know it well. There's a soldier, there's a a magical box that when he strikes it, there's these magical dogs that appear with eyes, you know, like saucers and like um, wagon wheels. And there's a princess in the story that doesn't say a single word. She sleeps throughout the story. He kisses her in her sleep three times. And in the end, they get married. So it's one of those stories, right? (laughs) (laughs) And as I'm telling the story, every now and again from the windowsill, I hear, whoa, look at the dogs. Man, look at those eyes. Whoa, you show them. And then when the story ended and I said, and they lived happily ever after, Lilach jumps from the windowsill, stands right in my face and says, I'm the princess. I said, okay, you make him the soldier. Okay, so following her instructions, I appointed her friend to be the soldier. And there were three other boys who wanted to be the soldier. So, you know, I let them and the kids were choosing parts and we were dividing the scenes and everybody was getting dressed. I had a big bag of scarves and pieces of fabric. And so it was kind of like this organized chaos. I'm organizing it. And from the corner of my eye, I see that Lilach is taking two chairs and she's arranging them facing each other to make a bed. And then she sits into it. She rather glides into it. And she folds her hands in her lap and she tilts her head just so, just slightly. And she closes her eyes. And suddenly she's majestic and quiet and 
She's the princess. <laughs> She's the princess ready for the story to begin. And we tell the story and, you know, all the time she just sits there with her eyes closed. She uh, opened them once when it was time for the soldier to kiss the princess. And she says to me, no real kissing. And I said, no, no, of course not. It's all make-believe. And that pleased her. And she closed her eyes again and had a hint of a smile. And at the end, when it was time for the soldier to marry the princess, she rose majestically and she put out her hand and he was giggling and blushing, but she just walked royally to the front of the room as we all sat together and they lived happily ever after. And that was it. Story hour was over and all the kids ran out to the playground outside and I was collecting all my scarves and pieces of fabric and went outside and out by the door, two of the teachers that came in late were waiting for me. And one of them says to me, and there's literally tears in, in her eyes, tears coming down her cheeks. And she says to me, look, I don't really know how to tell you this, but maybe you noticed that those kids that we brought in a little late were kind of different. That's because, you know, they're from the special education club and nobody allows us to bring them to any of the activities at the center because they always ruin it for all the other kids. But because you're new, we decided we're just not going to tell you. <laughs> but that's why all three of us came because we decided if they're going to start breaking the chairs, we'll take them out immediately. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm laughing. <laughs> it's, it's a great story. Keep going. That's what they said. And, and, and she said, but I, we've never seen them sit for so long and listen like that and participate like that. And Lilach, she's the terror of the neighborhood. And today it was like we were reminded that she's just an eight-year-old little girl for the very first time. Wouldn't it be wonderful to tell you that that was the moment my life changed and I became a storyteller. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but of course, that's not how life happens. More often than not, when you're inside the story, you don't even know that it's a story yet. All I knew that day is that for the first time in weeks, I drove home feeling mm, not quite like Cinderella down in the cinders. And I felt that I just witnessed something very powerful. I had no name for it, but I knew that I wanted to learn about it. I knew that I wanted to know more about that. And I think today, looking back, I can tell you that it probably was that day. It probably was that little eight-year-old gangster from the south of Tel Aviv, that little terror of the neighborhood that opened the door when another closed in my face. And that's how my journey to become a storyteller actually began. <laughs> Noah, I love that story. I'd love to hear the flip side and hear Leila's story and how that moment changed her life. Who knows? I don't know if it changed her life. You know, I wasn't there long enough. I was just there for a few months. And then I left for New York. I really have no contact with her. I don't even know her last name. Uh, she did come to all the other sessions. She loved Story Hour. That I remember. If a child, and I was a teacher, but if a child has one thing in their life that they like about going to school, it makes all the difference. Yeah. That was probably her her one piece of joy in going to school. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a school. It was an after-school program. It was a community center. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I mean, sometimes the circumstances of these children's lives are so... I, I don't know what her story was. She had a twin sister who was completely mute, mm. who did not speak at all. And it was so interesting that she that Lilach was loud and 
aggressive and terrifying to the kids and a big, big bully. And then she chose to be the silent princess. And her sister, her, her twin sister, they, they were not identical twins, but they were twins, was mute. Mm. So I don't know what kind of abuse these girls witnessed or experienced. Yeah, maybe that time that she spent in your class was time to be calm and time to be what she really wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in getting more involved in our community, connecting with people who share your interests, you can do this by visiting our website at www.thestoryroom.au. Amazing story. Thank you. A lot of people get confused about storytelling and speaking. Can you shed some light on that, the two? I think it depends on your definition of storytelling. A lot of things are called story because story is really at the core of who we are as humans. The great storyteller and author Bill Harley says it's a seed art. So it's the seed the core seed of every single art form. So a lot of things are called story. Journalism is called story and novels are called story and movies are called stories. And these days, every commercial is called story and every branding of every company is called story and Twitter and Facebook are stories. And so it's really, it can be very confusing. I work with storytelling as an art form, as this ancient, ancient meaning-making art form. But it's also because it is the primary core way that we humans create meaning and create connection. It is also a very powerful tool for education, for community building, for social change, for business, for team building, for uh, for law, um, for healing, for bereavement. You know, it's it's it has so many applications. So I like to think about it as this continuum from this thing that we do when we come home and tell each other what we did today through all its many applications, all the way to being an art form, just like playing the violin, a performing art form, just like playing the violin or dancing or theater, any performance art. And I suppose the format of it and the skills that you need for each of these things is slightly different. Uh, Speaking is a form of telling stories. If you're a good speaker, you will always incorporate stories in your speech. And I work as a coach a lot of times with people that have to give lectures or people that have to speak before others. And I help them not just with being comfortable in speaking before other people, but in how to make their talk come alive with the power of story. Mm -hmm. But it differs from storytelling as a pure art form because there's also content that you're trying to bring across. There's a lot of information that you're also trying to communicate when you give a lecture. So I would say, maybe this is a very roundabout way of answering your question, but story at its core is about images. It's about helping us imagine a specific moment, a specific person or character in a, in a specific moment in time. And I think that is probably sometimes the hardest thing because so many people talk and they think they're telling a story, but they're talking in such big generalizations or or they're talking with big concepts that as a listener, I can't quite imagine 
story really invites us to imagine. It invites us to connect through our own creative force, our own ability to imagine. And in that way, it connects with ourself, it connects with our own experience, and it helps us to connect with the other. Mm. So it's it's a lot about connection and imagination. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And it probably helps to answer the question of what makes a good storyteller. I think what makes a good storyteller is being curious about always learning more, <laughs> being in the moment, being present and loving to your audience and to your story. I think that really makes a good storyteller. If you love your audience and you really want to connect with them, you will be a good storyteller. When you prepare to go on stage and share a story, do you have any rituals or practices that you like to use? Mm, I don't think so. Not really. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I do... I do take out my nerves by uh, obsessively arranging the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a practice. <laughs> I think one of the things that I've discovered in my years of being a storyteller is that 99% of your success depends on how comfortable the audience is. So if the audience can't see you or if the audience is cold or if the audience is in the sun if there's a lot of noise, it doesn't matter how wonderful a storyteller you are. If, if the audience is not comfortable, they're not going to be able to relax and to go with you and to listen to you. So in order for a story to exist, it needs the active participation of the listeners. So the listeners need to be engaged and they need to be comfortable enough and trusting enough to go into their imagination. So it's a, it's a very relaxing, <laughs> in a way, form. I, I don't know if relaxing is the right word, but people have to feel safe and they have to feel comfortable. So if they're not comfortable and they don't feel safe, they're not going to go with you. They're not going to go in, into their imagination. And if they're not imagining with you, then there is no story. I love it when you're me as an observer and I see an audience when a storyteller is sharing a story and they're just looking focused. There's like this tunnel vision on that person on the stage and that brings a smile to my face because it's true connection, isn't it? It's like nothing else, there's no other noise. Even if, you know, even if something fell on the ground, they, they might flinch but they're back at the story. And that's also part of why it is so powerful and healing, because I, I think one of the most, most rewarding responses I get from people is they say, you know, I, I forgot where I was, or I, I was just, I was with you and I completely forgot everything. And that's so healing because it really is very centering and calming to our nervous system to be able to just kind of leave all the stimulation and the hyper everything that comes at us and just be with another human and go into your own imagination and go with them into their world. I think it's a very, very special and powerful art form. Well, when you were speaking about Leela, and I know I'm not saying that with the... <laughs> That's okay. You're doing pretty well. I could see her moving the chairs so that she could lay on the princess bed. And mm. the kiss, I could almost imagine her, don't, no kissing. I could almost see her leaping up to say in that booming voice, mm -hmm. no kissing. And, I mean, that's your gift of making someone who's listening to your story imagine. And in this world... Noah, where we have so much bombardment by social media, by advertising, whatever, I think that storytelling has become even more important to take us away from all that white noise. I don't even think it's white noise. I think it's very aggressive and assaulting. And I think 
storytelling offers these little islands of connecting with our humanity, connecting with other humans, connecting with this deep core of calm that we actually each carry within us. And sometimes it's very difficult to access. Mm. When you have a successful storytelling event, it's a relationship. And when it works, when it's a good storyteller that knows their craft and knows how to engage the audience and bring them in, it's it's magic. It's more than magic. It's, I don't know, for me, it's what keeps me alive. It was, keeps me sane. It's the only thing that makes sense to me in this world. It's, it's where I find comfort. Yeah. Noah, I was really fortunate recently to take part in one of your workshops and we did it for four weeks, over four weeks, and I learned so much. When you're trying to shape a story, it doesn't always come instantly. It's not like, oh, there's a story. Right. <laughs> Can you just explain just a little bit about shaping a story? It starts with what I said at the end of the Lilach story. More often than not, when we're inside the story, we don't know that it's a story yet. So a lot of times you need some perspective. You need some time to go through just because something happened to me doesn't make it a story yet. What makes it a story is what am I choosing of what happened to me in order to create meaning? So what makes it a story is the wisdom from that story that I can share, right? Mm. So the story about Lilach didn't start in the form that I told it to you. It started by people asking me, so how did you become a storyteller? And I would just say, oh God, you know, I used to be an actress and then I was just a failed actress and, and I got this job and I did story hour for a while. And da, da, da. so you kind of, the first, the first reaction is you, you give this kind of resume. This happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. And for me, there was always this image of, it's interesting that that stuck with you too. That little girl putting those two chairs together. I'll never forget that. I'll never, ever forget that moment that she, no, she wasn't in the spotlight. She thought nobody was seeing her, right? And all of a sudden, it's like something so different came out of her body language. And her facial expression softened. And every, it was like this different person. And there was a lot of noise and everybody was busy. Nobody was paying attention to her. I just happened to see it. And that stayed with me for years and years and years and years, that moment. So for me, a story always starts with that. It starts with some image. And I started telling about it. I started telling about, you know, I, I was doing story hour and da, da, da. And, and this is, this is what happened. And this little girl, and she walked in and she kicked the kids. And so I was telling that and it, it was okay. It was what happened, but it wasn't a story yet because I didn't know, well, what does that story mean for me? What does it carry for me? What was that moment in my life? And sometimes it takes you years to figure that out. Sometimes it comes instantly. And for me, it was this realization that, oh yeah, I felt like a failure. Just remembering who, who that person was then. So it's a story that if I had told it when I was 24 or 25, it would not have been the story that you heard today. What you heard today is the story of the person 30, 40 years later, looking back and realizing, wow, you know, because I remember going home, buying Bruno Bettelheim's book, The Importance of Fairy Tales. I needed to figure out what happened there. What was that that, that this girl responded to? I had no idea. So that's when I started. I started reading. I started learning about 
the, the symbolic meaning of stories, the psychological world of story. And that started me being very interested in it. Do you have a favorite storyteller? Oh my goodness. I have many. <laughs> I have many. I, I, so many that have been my inspiration that have been my mentors that have made me who I am. When I first came to this country, to America, uh, I first, I mean, I came to study at NYU and studied with Uta Hagen for two years, but then I went back to Israel. And then I came again in 1990 with my husband and we lived in California in Davis. And there was this festival, Sierra Storytelling Festival up in the mountains. And we went to it and I'll never forget that. It was 1992. My baby was like a year old baby. Yeah, since she was a year old. And I was, I was smitten. <laughs> I remember sitting there and my jaw dropped. And I saw Laura Sims and I saw Bill Harley and I saw Len Cabral and Steve Seinfeld. And and I looked at Stuart and I said, this is what I want to be when I grow up. This is it. This is it. Because until then, I just told stories to children. I didn't even know there was such a thing as stories for adults. And all of a sudden, I saw these artists. And it was extraordinary. And a lot of the jokes I didn't get because they were very culturally specific. You know, I felt I was looking around. Sometimes people were laughing at things that I didn't get. So I felt very inferior and I thought, oh my goodness, I'll never be able to do this in English. I'll never be able to do this in English. But over the years, you know, I, I took workshops and I, you know, I just performed wherever I could. And I joined the National Storytelling Network and went to conferences and I, you know, I grew, I grew as an artist so there are a lot of storytellers that, you know, Laura Sims and Elizabeth Ellis, Beth Horner, Sue O'Halloran, Reggie Carpenter, Jay O'Callaghan, Bill Harley, Kevin Kling. So many storytellers. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on. I could, there's many, many that inspire me. Megan Wells, uh, just phenomenal artists that really enrich my life. And I carry bits and pieces from stories that I heard from them as, you know, kind of these little image beacons. And, and a lot of them are, you know, friends of mine today. So it's very rewarding. If you're interested in getting more involved in our community, connecting with people who share your interests, you can do this by visiting our website at www.thestoryroom.au. For me, you are an amazing storyteller and I've seen you in action live and I just go, wow. And to be able to participate in the classes that you offer, yeah, I think you're phenomenal. But look, I you've done a TED Talk. It's my dream yeah. one day to do a TED Talk. Can you share your experience on the TED stage? Oh, God, that is nerve-wracking. A TED, TEDx Talk was very difficult to do because they have a very strict format and you have to adhere to it. Also, it came to me at a time when my husband was in the hospital and then he came out. So it was very, very difficult. And luckily the people that were producing it were very, very flexible because I, I had to meet all these deadlines. I had to write this and I had to send a minute of this and I had to send a five minute of that and just a lot of steps to do it. I remember it as a very stressful endeavor. And honestly, I don't remember much from being on that stage because I was so nervous. You looked good. <laughs> you sounded <laughs> good. I, thank you. And, and I could barely see the audience. It was kind of dim and dark in that in that space because they did a... I think the theme was the solstice, the winter solstice, fireside, fireside TEDx. So it was kind of like cozy and dark. and But it was a chance for me to share the work that I've been doing 
and I, and I had to take a book that I wrote, I don't know, 200 and some pages, 300 pages, and shrink it into a 17-minute talk. Is that your land <laughs> yeah. twice promised? Yeah, it's my memoir, yeah, land twice promised. I have it here with me. <laughs> and you had to take the book along? No, 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 no. It was, it was kind of like about, you know, the book is an expansion of that main idea that I was doing at the TEDx talk, which is about how story can help us get beyond labels Mm. and beyond opinions when we can really share stories. Unfortunately, we share opinions, we hurl opinions at each other. And especially with social media, that's all people are doing. It's very, very difficult to build bridges right now. It seems everybody just goes into their extreme corner. (laughs) But that's what I try to do with the power of story is what I try to do. We have talked before about how a story can be five minutes, 10 minutes or 20 minutes. That when you're speaking on a stage and you or you're sharing a story and you've been given 10 minutes what is the importance of sticking to the time? And how do you build a story that can be five minutes, 10 minutes or 20 minutes? Wow. Well, first of all, if you're working as part of an olio, like you're in a concert with, a, with other storytellers, it's extremely important that you stick to the time slot that you were given because otherwise you're just not being a good team, team player. <laughs> and... I think it's extremely important and I take it very, very seriously. And I get very upset when others don't because it just feels very disrespectful to the other storytellers when some of us, you know, really work hard to keep to the rules and some of us don't. So that having been said, I hate when I'm given (laughs) five minutes or 10 minutes. It's really, really, really hard because a story is an organic thing. And to time it to fit into a slot is very, very difficult. As a rule, I think most of my stories, especially if they're personal stories, always start longer. And the more I tell them, the more I kind of you know, they, they get, they get trimmed. They, the essence of them shines more and it's easier to get them into a time slot. It's also a question of rhythm. If I can find, you know, sometimes just by quickening the rhythm at some parts of the story, it helps keep it in a time slot, but it's, you know, I don't have formulas and, and you've been in my class. So, you know, I don't teach that way. Mm-hmm. I don't teach with formulas. I really think that growing a story is an organic process. And when I start a story, especially a personal story, I never know how long it can be. Like, for example, I have been invited to share a story. Uh, we're doing a women's concert women of the Healing Story Alliance, which is an online community of people interested in the healing power of story. And we are doing a fundraiser for our organization by doing an evening with um, the women that are part of the steering committee of, of this online community sharing stories. And we each have 10 to 12 minutes there's a story, a new story that I've been working on that I really want to share. And I'm working on it and working on it. And then I'm realizing, you know what? It's, you know, it's between 15 to 20 minutes in order for it to be 10 minutes that I have to cut a section. And so I've been working on taking this section out and still making the story make sense. Mm. And it works. It works. So sometimes that's what you have to do. You, you have to just figure out, well, what's, is my story still saying something? Is my story still of value? Does it still carry meaning if I take this part out? And it doesn't mean that this part is bad. When I will have a longer time slot, 
I will put that part back in because I think that part makes the story even better. I mean, you have amazing ways of making, of helping your um, students to actually understand the story that they're creating and to practice it and practice it and practice. And I'm not going to tell any of your techniques, but it's really (laughs) quite incredible how many times we tell a story over a four-week period. It's like, I've told this story quite a few times now, (laughs) but each time you tell it, it takes on more meaning and you understand why you have to keep telling it. And I think the more you tell it, the more you can figure out, you know, the length of it, you know? So, so it takes a while to shape a story until it gets to its final shape. And and then you can tell it, you know, and and every story, you know, Laura Sims, uh, one of my mentors and teachers always said, every story in the world can be told in three sentences and in three days. (laughs) When she said that, I was like, Really? But the more, uh, and, and she was talking about traditional stories, not necessarily personal stories, but the more years go by, the more I understand that what she said was, was true. If someone's aspiring to become a storyteller, what do they need to do? They need to listen to a lot of storytellers. <laughs> there's no, there's no one way to tell a story, and there's no, there's no one style. Everybody's individually different, and the more storytellers you expose yourself to, the more you will learn. I would suggest to learn with a lot of storytellers. I studied with several storytellers, and I've learned something different from all of them. Yeah. I would definitely start by listening to other storytellers, by uh, taking workshops, taking classes, and just starting to tell, just starting to tell. It's the only way to learn is to tell. (laughs) Noah, before we finish up today, how do you believe the influence of storytelling can positively impact and enrich our lives? whether it's personal growth, building connections, navigating challenges, how do you storytelling fit into making this happen? Oh gosh, on so many levels. Uh, first and foremost, I really honestly believe it's it's the most healing, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely healing. It has a, a tremendous power. You know, we have no control over what happened to us. A lot of us have had difficult things happen to us in our lives. And we have no control over, you know, what family we're born into. We have no control over the things that happen in our lives most of the time. But we can tell a story and we have control there. We have control over how we will take what happened to us and shape it into something that will give meaning and support life and be something positive in the world. So we have that choice and that's the power of art. And in particular, the art of storytelling. So I think on the personal level, on the personal growth level, I mean, storytelling allowed me to heal a very, very difficult relationship with my mother. It allows me to connect with my ancestors, to connect with my grandmother, in ways that help me feel her close to me. You know, it gives me power and it gives me, it heals me by telling this, these stories, by crafting these stories, by creating these stories, and by telling them. Every time I tell them, I tell a story about my grandmother that every time I tell it, it's like she's with me. it's 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 a wonderful gift for me it's a wonderful gift for me and I can invite other people to meet her in a way that I choose to introduce her Mm. yeah Uh, same with my mother I have a way of meeting my young self in a way that is empowering it can heal that part of myself that may have been wounded 
So it has tremendous power just in the act of remembering and crafting a story from your life. Whether you're doing it just for yourself and or whether you want to do it professionally. That's with personal stories. And with traditional stories, even more because, you know, all these ancient, ancient stories were never created for children. They are the secret map to our soul. Mm. And they have tremendous power if we really work with them. We work with them. If we go deep into them, they have tremendous gifts to us and to our world. And then like what we said at the beginning, the mere act of being together and listening to a story mm. is a huge gift of, of calm and balm to the, to the soul. And for me right now, times are so dark. I, uh, it's really the only place that makes sense for me and the only place that gives me comfort. I promised you a little story. So can I give you a tiny little well, I was going to let you pass because of Leela's story, but oh no, please. I want to, I want to give a, a tiny little story for my tradition that I, I hang on to these days. So it is told that in every generation, there are dark times when hope threatens to leave this world. And it is said that the great Jewish mystic healer and teacher, Rabbi Israel Ben Eliezer, known as the Baal Shem Tov, the master of the good name. It is said that when he came upon such dark, dark times, when hope threatened to leave the world, he would go to a special place in the forest, a secret place that he knew of, and there he would light a, a special fire and say a prayer, evoking the most sacred name of the divine. And the danger would be averted and the darkness would be lifted and hope remained in the world. And years later, his disciple, Rabbi Dov Bear of Mesritz, came upon difficult times. And it is said that he too went to that place in the forest but he lifted his eyes to the heavens and he said, Master of the universe, I don't know how to light that special fire, but I can say the words of the prayer. Please let it be enough. And it was. The danger was averted and hope remained in the world. And then years later, his descended rabbi Moshe Leib of Sasov came to lead the people. And he too came upon dark times. He came to that place in the forest and he lifted his eyes to the heavens and he said, Master of the universe, I don't know how to light that fire. No one remembers the words of that prayer. But I found my way here to this place. Please, let it, let it be enough. And it was. The danger was averted and hope remained in the world. And many years later, it was Rabbi Israel of Ritzin that was sitting in his study with his head between his hands. And he said, Master of the universe, uh, no one knows how to light that fire and no one remembers how to say that prayer. And we cannot even find our way to that place in the forest. But we can still tell the story. Please let it be enough. And it was, and it still is, for as long as stories are told, hope remains in this world. Beautiful. And, oh my gosh, I've got to have more lessons in storytelling, but that was a, <laughs> a beautiful story at this time when we need hope. Noah, I, I want to finish up. That was absolutely amazing. I didn't expect for us to speak for nearly an hour today. <laughs> But I'd love you to come back maybe in a couple of months and share another session with me because, you know, this is like I'm sitting here just don't want to stop at all. I could go for another two or three <laughs> hours. But so a heartfelt thanks for 
sharing your wisdom and your wealth of knowledge on storytelling today. I was fortunate to meet you in Australia in June at a a conference um, with many other storytellers and I heard a story that you told about your growing up in Israel and then meeting some Palestinian a Palestinian woman in your hometown in the US and it was a brilliant story and and now I've had the opportunity to go to one of your workshops and you know for me that conference has done so many things it's introduced me to so many amazing people and it's really started me on a, a journey you know I've been producing storytelling shows but now I'm on the journey to learn myself but they'll be able to find you anyway, Noah, through the internet. Yeah. It's, um, it's a small world when it comes to yeah. the internet, but I can yeah, guarantee. Also, I'm always uh, happy to work with people individually as well. So yeah. sometimes to commit to a workshop is harder for people. So Yeah, but, you know, you're guaranteed to have a lot of fun with the people that are part of that workshop. So, Noah, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Cheerio. Thank you so much. If the storytelling bug has bitten you and you're feeling inspired to record your own stories, then head over to our website where you can purchase a journal and a bookmark designed to assist you in capturing your stories. So thank you for tuning in and until next time when we bring you more inspiring stories, have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Sharing Stories, Changing Lives. We'd like to invite you to support us by purchasing a Backstage Pass, costing about the same as two cups of coffee each month. With the Backstage Pass, you'll gain access to workshops and exclusive content, including videos from our live events. You can do this by visiting our website at www.thestoryroom.au. We can continue to show that sharing stories changes lives.